Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you again soon. Here is today's message. We're kind of wrapping up this series uh, called Grow Together, and uh, today I'm going to be kind of going into Grow Together in Truth. So we've covered a few things last week. Pastor Mike uh, talked about growing together in faith, which is a really challenging message. Um, today, we're, we're going to talk about what it means to grow in truth and kind of essentially what are some of the avenues that we can take when we receive truth and we, we want to we share it, what, is, what are some of the, the routes we can take to get there? Because there can be some, some really positive uh, ways to do that and actually some really uh, negative ways to do that. So we're going to talk about that today. But um, it's hard to tell because I'm on a stage, but I'm actually kind of short. How tall are you, Chris? You're like six, six, six um, yeah. I'm 5'10". Um, I feel like ever since I've joined this church, I've felt really short. Um, this is like a land of giants. Uh, every, I'm the shortest of the pastoral team and uh, I don't like it. Uh, but uh, every mic that goes to our church seems to be taller than I. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a thing, right? And it was a thing growing up. I got into high school and I was really... Um, really waiting for my growth spurt to kick in, and it really never did. And uh, I gradually kind of, it was this really gradual thing. Um, and it was hard in my love life, right? Because for some reason, girls like tall guys. And all of us dudes who aren't that tall just get the short end of the stick, literally. And so it, uh, it was hard for my love life. It was hard for my athletic life. I was wanting to be this, you know, this NBA star. I was hooping it up. I was this guy that was like, yeah, I'm going to try out for the team. Um, well, just so you know, I went to, to Gorman and Gorman's, well, you know, they're, they're pretty good at sports. And so I, uh, I didn't end up making the team because, you know, there was 14 other guys that were my height and it was hard. There's only a point guard and a guard that can justify being short. And yeah, it didn't work out for me. But um, what I've learned is I'll never be 6'2", 6'3". Um, but what I can control are some, uh, some other ways that I can grow. Uh, and one of the most important investments of your time and your energy is to invest into your spiritual growth. And that's a way inwardly you could become better. And it's something that we've talked about, just all the different ways we can grow together. Um, and here's the thing about growth. Often it takes community. It's not just an individual effort. We have to come together and spur one another onto good works. And uh, today we're gonna look in a couple of places in scripture, but mainly kind of focusing in, in on Ephesians. And there's a passage we've, we've kind of taught on a little bit, but it's from Ephesians four. And let's just dive in. It says this, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's kind of using the illustration of the body here, um, the physical body to illustrate the body of Christ, which is the church. So every believer uh, would come in to that. And uh, it's, it's essentially speaking of a, of a lot of things, but mainly growth, right? We're to, be, we're to grow in order to become mature and not just mature individually, 
but as a church, how are we to challenge each other, how are we to grow together? And just before this in Ephesians, um, it listed the, it's, it's what sometimes people refer to as the fivefold ministry. So God gives certain gifts and abilities and callings to certain people. And uh, when it comes to leadership in the church, these kind of roles typically are there. So it went from, I think it starts at apostles, went from there to, to prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I've always kind of found myself more aligned with the evangelists. Um, that's why I, you know, at, at 20 years old, started a ministry to uh, kids in different parts of the city who were unreached. Um, because the nagging question, I was, I was working at a church at the time, I was an intern in kids ministry, and I would have this thought. When kids get, would get dropped off on a Sunday morning, I would think, what about the kids who aren't getting dropped off on Sunday mornings? Whose parents don't really believe in God? Who's going to reach them? And uh, that question, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head until, I, until it moved me to action. And I showed up off of MLK and Carrie in North Las Vegas in an apartment complex and God opened the door for me to start Club Christ, which is a ministry still existing to this day. And it, it just, you know, we practically love kids uh, by doing after-school tutoring and mentoring and introducing them to who God is. And so, uh, so that evangelism bug is always in me. And if you notice, when I do get up here and preach, I often have some kind of interlaced thing about evangelism in there. I'm sorry, it's just how it works, right? Because it listed those things in order to say, it's because you have these people who are gifted with certain things to equip the body. So if you're good at a certain thing, you're gonna, you're gonna wanna grow in it in order to equip the body to help us all grow in that. And so I feel like that's kind of one of my things. I get to equip people in that. And, um, but I also really respect teachers and pastors who have that keen eye for knowledge, right? Biblical true knowledge. They can discern between right and wrong and they're anointed to teach. And uh, we have some anointed teachers here, anointed pastors. And it's just, it's great to be a part of a church like that. My wife and I just a little over two years ago had come from a church that honestly, like we were like, ah, where's the truth? There was a lot of stories that were told and this guy was like literally a stand-up comedian. Uh, he was really funny. Uh, but we were just left saying, man, I want the gospel and where is it? And so it drove us to start looking for where the gospel was being proclaimed and where truth was, was held in high regard. And that landed us here at the Church of Lake Mead. And then uh, not long after that, I was able to join the team, which is really, really cool. So, but right before this, it talks about how um, it, there's a tendency for people to kind of be blown around when it comes to teaching to kind of like just have this, this experience where some crafty people can come and make stuff sound really intriguing, right? I always get super like, whenever I hear, do you ever hear the secret of dot, 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 of having a better life? I have the three-step process for you to, to become, you know, your best version of yourself. And I'm always like, really? This secret you figured out, like you, YouTube, you know, superstar or whatever, like you're the one who's, who's gonna tell me, you know, how to live my life. And it's, there's a lot of people out there and especially in the digital age that just claim to be true tellers. But when you reach that point, when you're a teacher, it says even in scripture that you need to be careful 
because uh, you're going to be judged more strictly. You need to be very careful kind of where you get your truth. And as, as, a, as a pastor, you're kind of expecting me to say this, right? But um, just so you know, um, this is the source, right? So this is the source of truth we should be looking for. And this is what we need to ground ourselves in. And um, the thing is that, you know, when I was looking at this and I'm like, okay, so as a church, in order to grow, we need to be speaking the truth in love. I said, okay, if we're gonna be speaking this truth, are we, are we doing that as a church? And whenever you like wanna kind of just know about some trends, you know, in the church, you go to Barna Research. So Barna does a ton of research in the Christian community and they have some great findings. It really gives you good perspective of things. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna look this up. And so here's what I found. So this is what essentially they discovered in their study. They said three quarters of self-identified U.S. Christians have fewer than 10 spiritual conversations a year. Okay, so what that means is for Christians in the U.S., topics of faith come up less than once a month. All right, so we're talking about a lot of things, just not really truth. And, you know, you might be like, hey, you know, you're talking about your job. Hey, what's going on? How are things? You know, you're talking about your kids a lot. You're talking about gas prices these days. That's a big topic of conversation. You're talking about the sports. We just had an incredible Final Four game. Man, oh, I, I, I really hate Duke. If you're a UNLV fan, you really just have like this bitterness uh, for our 1991 season. Um, it's still there. It's still in the heart. Um, and uh, But I found myself rooting for Duke yesterday because there's my Krzyzewski's like last game. All, anyways, and that was like the big thing people have been talking about. Um, Will Smith has been all of a sudden on everyone's lips. Um, the slap heard around the world. Uh, I'm gonna get back to, actually, we can kind of learn some things from that. Uh, I'm gonna get back to that. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of things we like to have conversations about. We like to kind of chat about. Is God a part of your conversations? Because that's a good barometer to test of where you're at. Because in that same study, they kind of pressed in and they added another variable into that. They said, they, they, said I wanna, they wanted to look at, okay, so the people who were eager to talk about their faith, who were talking about it more, what was that ingredient in their life that, that set them apart? And this is what they found. They said 64% of people who read their Bible every week were the most eager to talk about their faith. So the reverse is true, right? Like the more people like think about God, the more they want to talk about God. And the less they think about God, the less they wanna talk about him. And so it comes down to this truth. The more you study, the more you share. So the more you're filling your heart with good things and the truth of God's word, the more you're gonna share. Jesus says it like this. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, all right? So it, are we treasuring God's word as a community? We wanna grow together, okay? I love when people show up to Jumpstart Group um, on Wednesdays, and we just launched our, another one this past week. When I say, I ask this question usually in the first night, I say, how many, raise your hand if you've never been in a life group. If you've never if you never study the Bible in a, in a group of about ten people, and there's always one or two people who raise their hand. 
They're like, yeah, that's me. Um, I've, never, I've never gotten to a community where we're studying together and we're feasting on God's word. And honestly, that was my story. The turning point in my relationship with God came from when I stopped being a spectator and I started to get deep within the word. So I would go to church every Sunday. I even went to, to Catholic school. So I had a religion class where I studied about the scriptures. And when I got to college, I honestly thought I knew it all. I was like, yeah, you know, Stations of the Cross, I know all that. I know when to kneel. I know when to stand up in service. I knew a lot of the songs. I was good, you know? And then I went to a Christian group called InterVarsity at UNLV. And they're like, hey, why don't you come to this, this thing called a Bible study? I'm like, a Bible study? You guys like, like to study the Bible? They're like, yeah, 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 it's really cool. I'm like, cool? Like, what is happening? Like, no one did that. Um, you know, we just didn't do that growing up. And so I show up and I'm like, what? This is fascinating. I'm discovering things I'd never knew existed in the Word. And it was when I joined a community that, and I'm really glad I did because I didn't know a lot. And when you have someone that's a little further down from you, like around you, you, you learn from them. That's why I love working out with people who are just a little stronger than I, because I tend to just kind of like be like, oh, okay, I'm done. But then there's a guy who's, who's with me, uh-uh, you do five more. I'm like, five more? Okay. You know, and I'm just like, okay, oh. And you know, it's, we help each other. We help each other grow. And, um, and it's a thing, you know, honestly though, it's intimidating, all right? I'll be honest, it's intimidating. You know, to this day, I'm a pastor and I don't understand a lot of this, this book. You know, it's, it's hard to understand because it's, this was written a long time ago and there's a lot of names in here and there's a lot of things. I get it, you know, but is it worth the effort? Is it worth it, right? To do some of the hard work it's gonna take to know God's truth. I think it is. I always recommend, especially if you're, if you're you know, new to studying the Bible, to get a study Bible. It's, it's literally called the study Bible if you like look it up on Amazon. Um, sadly, there's no more Christian bookstores. Uh, they've all went out of business in, in our city which is sad. I used to take new believers to Christian bookstores and be like, hey, let's pick out a Bible. And they'd get one and I'd get it like engraved and stuff. It was really cool. And all, we can't really do that, but we do have Bibles available in the lobby. There's a little kiosk there that one, one of my favorites, which I advocated to put in there, it's called the Quest Study Bible. It's a, it's a question and answer format. Um, so you have little questions, you know, as you're reading through, oh, you know, da, 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 and it has this little answer thing. And it just helps you get engaged and know the context because when you're studying the word, you really got to know the context. It's fundamental because somebody wrote it at a certain time for a certain purpose and you, you really should know that. Or you can take stuff out of context and it'd be real dangerous, uh, some of the conclusions you can come to. And I really love to go to commentary. So there's a commentary I love. It's called Enduring Word. How do I like pronounce that well? Because people are like, Enduring what? Enduring Word. Um, and there's an app you can get for iOS or Android. And it's a guy, David Guzik. He's a solid uh, Calvary Chapel pastor that um, has written just verse by verse notes, verse by verse commentary. And uh, when I'm studying scripture, I go to Enduring Word. It's great. So I recommend that. Um, but here's the thing. So we're like, yes, I want to grow. You know, I want to study. I want to get in a life group. I want to do all these things. But what's the goal? Here's what we need to be careful about. And this is from Scott McKnight. He's the guy that's actually mentoring Pastor Brad uh, right now, investing into him. That's the PhD program that Brad's in that they're, uh, 
they're in Israel kind of learning more from. But he says it this way. Um, God did not give the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. This isn't a, a thing to say, I, I can one-up you in Bible trivia. This is not why we read the Bible, okay? Just to be the, the smartest Christian on the block. We're, it's supposed to be transformational, okay? So here's one thing you gotta know. The Bible introduces us to who Jesus is. So when we talk about like knowing truth, this isn't abstract. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you say, oh, I just wanna know truth, it's a relational component to it. It's not just taking this and you know, memorizing it. You walk with Jesus and Jesus masters you and changes the way you live when you encounter him through his word. And so it's important that we get in the word. But what happens, all right, we got this word. What happens when we wanna speak it? Well, there's some boundaries to that. And I think if we go back to this Ephesians um, verse, it, it lays it out. Cause it's, it says, you know, go ahead, talk about it. So speak the truth. So that's our content of what we're gonna be sharing. What's our method? Our method is always love, always love. In the Bible, truth and love always mixed together, inseparable. You can't, you can't have all truth over here and no love. That's not gonna work. You can't have all love over here and you're just like, eh, you know, let's do whatever, it's fine. You know, you do you, it's your truth, you know. No, 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 you can't do that. So you gotta have this balance. You gotta have this integration of truth and love. And see, this is where kind of the, 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 the road diverges, all right? Kind of already talked about, you know, you get truth in your life and you're like, okay, it's here. Here's the, the two paths that you can take with it. And there's a progression that happens. Can we go to that? Yeah, so, oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, you got truth in your life. Here's what really my hope is that that truth leads to a certain kind of humility. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, how we get to that place of like, how does the truth of God's word humble us? Well, there's some, there's some facts you should know about humankind that should humble you. But then that's gonna lead you to love. It's gonna lead you to say, look, ah, man, this truth has transformed my life. I wanna love people and serve them just as my savior Jesus did. Here's the other way though that can happen. When you encounter truth and you're like, okay, I got this, it can lead to some arrogance. You can kind of, mm, yeah, huh. I know some things other people don't. And we gotta be careful. Jesus talks about how knowledge puffs up, or Paul talks about this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When we're puffed up and we think we're better than others, what's our next action? We, we typically condemn them. We try to put them down. We try to cut them down to make us feel better than them. Instead of letting the word, the truth, kind of be a mirror to us, back at kind of just some of the, the ways that we're not quite there yet, we haven't arrived, we let it puff us up. And 
there's a, there's a really cool story I wanna, wanna share from, uh, that Jesus shared uh, from Luke 18. And it kind of just describes what this looks like. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So let's just set the stage here. One, I love Luke's little description. He, he just is setting the tone. He's telling us why this story is being told because there are some who are confident of their own righteousness. They were right, right? And they looked down on everyone else. So Jesus is like, all right, I'm gonna tell you a story. And Jesus is the masterful storyteller. He really is. And the two people in this story are the Pharisee and the tax collector. So what's a Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees were the experts in God's law. So they're the ones who studied God's word for a living. And they would teach it and they'd often be the people in, if you're like, oh, I don't really know. Kind of like what I do with Brad. Brad's like our expert, even though he's not a Pharisee. He's our expert. Um, and I'm like, I don't really know. Let me go ask Brad. Cause Brad's like a Bible encyclopedia. Um, and he just, just, he's great. He's studied so much and um, he just knows a lot. And so, but here's what happened with the Pharisees in Jesus's day. They let that get in their head. And not only that, they said, hmm, I'm gonna add some things onto what's, what's there, add some extra requirements. So they became legalistic and legalistic people tend to say, oh, you know, gotta check that, check that off and check that off. Oop, you didn't do that. Oop, you didn't do that. And so it was really dangerous um, for the growth of the church because it became a thing where you had to jump through a lot of hoops to get to the place where you could have a relationship with God. And you had to perform um, and, and please these men instead of putting your focus on God. And, uh, and the Pharisees love to argue. That's one of the characteristics of the Pharisees. And you'll see them uh, throughout the gospels arguing with Jesus time and time again. And because um, they wanna prove that they're right. I don't know if you have anyone in your life, you know, um, you know, that's, that, that does this, you know, my parents are here, my, you know, my mother-in-law is here. Some people have an issue with their mother-in-law telling them, you should do that. And sometimes we've gone back and forth, but she's gracious about it. But there's some, there's can be some interpersonal dynamics at play when you're like, oh, I know best, you know? And, and, you know, sometimes it's like, ooh, you know, do you really? Cause I think this, oh, I think that. And it becomes this conflict, right? You go back and forth and, um, I love you, Pam, just, just let you know. You are amazing. I love you. You feel free to speak into my life, no matter what. Speak into it, all right? Um, yes, and so I just wanna make that clear. Um, so, but here's the thing, all right? If we're not following that, that, that path of humility to love, if we go down this other path and we become the, um, the the people who are kind of obnoxious um, and who need to be right all the time, uh, that can have a real impact. And honestly, I, as a pastor and over the years working with young people, um, I see this generation of people uh, growing up, really really coming out of ch- a lot of church hurt. Um, a, lot of, a lot of churches have been kind of more of that legalistic, kind of hard-nosed kind of approach to truth. And so people have rejected the church because of that. And they've walked away. And 
and many never return. Because they're saying, look, you're preaching this God who's supposed to love us, yet all you tell us about it, all the wrong things that we do and how we don't do enough, you know, and you gotta do, do, do. And you're not, it's not refreshing, it's condemning. And uh, it just, it, it doesn't fit right too when, when someone, and there's so many controversies and there's so many things that come out uh, about pastors and leaders who don't walk the walk, right? Who are preaching one thing and doing another thing. All the time it happens, you know? And so um, it reminded me of what happened at the Oscars this year. So I see, I told you I'd circle back around to that. Um, I, I kind of like the Oscars just because I grew up um, watching it. I, it's hard for me to engage sometimes because I don't really know these movies that they're talking about. They're all like, all these Best Picture nominees. I'm like, I've never seen that movie. It's, it's that, even at Redbox. And it's like, you're like kind of confused a little bit by how all these movies get hyped up so much. And this year, really the only one that I was like, I knew because I have three kids, it was Encanto. Um, Encanto was like, oh yeah, I know Encanto. And um, you know, cause I have a four year old, um, I have a six year old and I have an eight year old. So we don't talk about Bruno in our house. All right, we don't talk about him. We don't sing about him. We don't sing about him either. And so, uh, but you know, I was watching it with my wife um, just last week and Will Smith gets up and we all kind of know what happened, uh, goes on stage, you know, and I, I, I heard the slap. And honestly, I remember like dialoguing with Vanessa. I was like, that didn't sound real. Like, that hadn't been fake, right? And then it like, cuts to what he was saying. And I was like, oh, oh, he's, ooh, he's mad. Like, this is real. This isn't like, this isn't just like something, like some stage thing. This is real. And um, I was like, oh, and you got really nervous. And then he won like the award and you're like, what is he gonna say? What is he gonna say? Oh my goodness. You know, it was crazy. And I really, I looked back at that and I'm thinking, and it's caused everyone to really just be like, what happened? Everyone's talking about it. I think one of the, one of the main reasons that it was so shocking to us is because it, it didn't fit who we knew the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to be, right? Like we grew up watching this goofy guy, you know, and he's fun loving, he goes on adventures. You know, our kids and I have watched this like special that he has where he like goes and visits all, and he's just fun. And all of a sudden you're like, what is coming out of this guy's mouth? You know, and it really was this disorienting moment when you're like, that, is, there's not congruency there. And you don't even want to believe it. And you're just like, well, how does this, it's this disillusionment that comes over you. And you're, you try to make sense of it. And you're like, oh, why would they do that? You know, why would he say that? And it, I feel like that's happened so much when it comes to the church. And it's really sad. I mean, that really shouldn't be our reputation. We really should be out there sacrificially serving our neighbors and loving them and being advocates for the disenfranchised. That's what we should be known for, you know, and, and not this, this duplicity that happens sometimes. And, you know, and what I'm talking about is pride. When pride creeps up in the church, it's really, really destructive. And it's something I have to be super careful of. It's, you know, being called to be a pastor, people wanna hear you, people you know, think you're like, you know, whatever. I'm not, what, I'm not, my being a parent is the most humbling thing <laughs> in the world. And I'm, 
man, I've learned that I got a lot of work to do. Um, and then you start to see your sinful habits like creep up in your kids. And I'm like, oh man, I got some work to do. God have mercy on me. And so, um, but really we gotta be careful because modern day Pharisees, this is what they are. They're unfaithful stewards of truth. We gotta be, have faithful stewardship of the truth that God has given us. And um, we really gotta be careful as a church body to not be the ones out there on social media attacking people. I know it shows up more and more. Social media just kind of highlights it. You know, people just showing up all these comments and all these things. And it's just like, man, no, you're burning bridges. You're not building them. That's not what we're called to do, to burn bridges. And um, you'll see what happens in the Pharisee's prayer. Back to that, um, that story. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a 10th of all I get. Honestly, like politics has made this really hard um, because our politics of the day, they, we, we just get pitted up against the other side, whatever side you land on, um, which, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, there's, yeah, I won't go there, but it's, there's, there's, there's not grace there. There's not a mutual understanding there. There's just, you're throwing lobs and grenades and you're trying to just, you know, prove you're right. And, you know, it's, it's dangerous when you get into that attitude and you get in, when you're, you're all, you're, you're just watching the, the daily news cycle, you know, it's just justifying your worldview and your, your stance. And you, it, it, it can have this effect to just, and honestly, I think one of the greatest threats to Christian witness in America today is politics is getting, is be, letting politics become your idol, letting your candidate or whatever it is, be that thing that you are allegiant to no matter what. Christians throughout history have not been able to put themselves in a like certain party for a reason, because our King is Jesus. He's not of this world. Okay, and we're not to be of this world either. And so we gotta be careful not to align ourselves with just one certain way of, of doing things and, and living. Because if we do that, we can become a modern day Pharisee. But let's look at the other guy in this, this story. It's the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus flips the script, which he often does. Shows us a guy that would be hated at the time. The tax collectors were like a really beefed up, you know, uh, IRS agency that had the authority of the Roman legion. If you didn't do what they said, you would get a spear, you know, whatever. And they were often taken from the Jewish, from the people you were collecting taxes from. The Romans would get a Jewish guy to do it. 
Um, and they were hated in that community because they would often be cheats and they'd get a little bit more. They weren't the people who were the model citizens, all right? So they weren't the people who you're telling stories about. And Jesus did here to prove a point that those that we least expect often have that jewel of the kingdom hidden within them. Because when you recognize that there's something wrong, that's your first step to true humility. When you can recognize, oh, when you can admit that there's something in you, and that's through confession, right? That's why the, the spiritual act of confession is so important for the church. It, it truly is that plate that it gets us back aligned with God. When we can say, oh God, have mercy on me. You know, you, you can't admit sin, especially sins of self-righteousness, of pride, of arrogance, which we all have. We all do without being humbled. It was funny. Apparently like Brad watched, watched the first service from Israel, which actually makes me feel like, what? How are you watching this? Anyway, you got better things to do. Go to the Mount of Olives or something. And um, he was like, they actually talked about this, this passage this, this week in Israel. And he's like, you also gotta be careful. Cause he said, this was brought up in their conversation, not to then say, oh, I'm better than the, tax collector in this story. Because that's another way of being like the tax collector and comparing yourself to him. And so we gotta be careful because this kind of stuff is gonna come from all angles. And when you have, when you hold out the truth to the world, it's gotta be backed up with love. It's gotta be backed up with humility. Because, go back to that little, little thing, because ultimately, there's so much that's gonna condemn the world. I mean, there's so many condemning, we're living a cancel culture. There's so much there. We gotta be the alternative to that. We gotta be the alternative message. But there is some truths in the word that do still sting. And I wanna I want just make that clear. And let's go back to Ephesians chapter two, because you gotta be grounded in reality. And I think that's what the cool thing about scripture is. It grounds us in reality. Okay, so let's look at what Paul just before that um, in, in chapter two said. He said, all of us, including you and me, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. All right, so before we get to the love and the mercy and the grace, we start here and it talks about our nature, okay? Our nature is something that we, we don't desire God. We don't crave God, you know? We don't crave the word. Our cravings are for our flesh and we follow our own desires, our own thoughts. We're wise in our own eyes, naturally, okay? So we're not naturally in the family of God. We're actually naturally enemies of God in our thoughts and our actions. Even though if you're a religious person, you, you've gone to church, if you haven't bowed to King Jesus and you haven't lived, you haven't repented of your sin and lived for him, you still are living for yourself. And that's, that's a reality, even if you do go to church. You gotta, you gotta recognize this truth because this is the humbling reality that we all have to face. We're all in that same camp where we've turned from God. We're all equally sinners. We've sinned against God. We have this sin nature in us. 
But it, it doesn't stop there. Here's the good news. The gospel literally means good news. Here's the gospel. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Here's the thing. You can't get saved outside of grace. You can't get saved by being better than anybody else. You can't get saved by knowing the Bible more than anyone else. That's not how it works. It is by grace that you are saved. That means it's a free gift. It's a free gift. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is this. Look, we were all deserving of wrath. We were all deserving of punishment, okay? We all had broken God's commands. And because we had, there's consequences and that's death. That's separation from God. That's a Christless eternity. That's real. That's just the hard truth about existence. But what we know is that Jesus volunteered, came to earth as a man, said, look, I'm gonna take that wrath on myself. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about it on Good Friday that's coming up. How Jesus bore the cross for us. He took our punishment. He said, I'm gonna take that for you because of my great love for you. He loves us. He runs after us. You see, he took time to correct those who were wayward, but he also took time to correct those who were religious. The, the people of his day that were so hard to deal with, he showed them love too, in truth, but he showed them love. He went over to the Pharisee's house and ate dinner with them. He tried to explain to them that the kingdom looked a little different from what they understood. And he invited them to repent. We get John 3, 16, the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We get that because a religious dude was so afraid to talk to Jesus personally, he had to come at night and sneak in and say, ah, can you explain some things to me? And Jesus took the time to explain some things and it humbled him and it showed him a new reality of this kingdom. So this truth that we get, that Jesus loves us, this truth that's embodied in a person in Jesus in a relationship with him, that's an invitation that needs to be extended. We need to be speaking the truth in love. We need to be living out this truth in a way that's attractive because the more you know about the life of Jesus, the more you're attracted to him. And the more we become like Jesus in our community, our church is conformed to who Jesus is, the more attractive it becomes to the outside world who is skeptical and has seen so many Christians fall. And if you're here this morning and you've said, man, I'm still not sure about getting involved here at this church because I've been hurt before. Let me just invite you to give it another shot. We wanna love you. We wanna serve you. We want you to know the God that loves you. We wanna protect you. That's why we're really careful who we choose to be in leadership here because we wanna make sure that they're living it out. So we wanna protect you. I hope, I hope you can give us a chance. I hope you can take that next step on your journey of faith here with us at Church of Lake Mead because we just wanna serve you and love you. And for those of you